We're packed today on a Friday before the divisional round games in the NFL, the Ryan Rosillo podcast. I am Ryan. Thank you for listening, Ringer and Spotify. And we'll break it all down for you coming up here in just a minute. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Honda. Honda is committed to achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. And the Prologue EV is their latest innovation in that journey. The Prologue is all the great things you expect from Honda in an EV. As an SUV, the Prologue comes with class-leading passenger space with intuitive features and clean, thoughtful design. The Prologue is more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Okay, so here's the plan for today. Damon John is going to join us from Shark Tank. Uh, Really excited about this. His background, being on Shark Tank, different investment stuff, some of the stuff that I don't understand about how the show works, um, which is cool. And I just wanted to kind of ask him, like, all right, 2020, like, what have you been investing in? What would you start looking at? And he was so honest about it. So that was great. And then Phil Simms, CBS, 15 years in the league, story time, Coach Parcells, uh, also, you know, kind of his his read on the Brady Belichick thing over the years. We'll get his picks for both the NFC and AFC title games. And we'll do life advice. So there you go. That's the show for today. This is going to be fun. Uh, get ready for the conference title games. We got Phil Simms, CBS, and of course, longtime quarterback. So, you know, a lot of us spent a lot of time on who Rodgers was. I, I brought this up, so my audience is going. Are you doing this Rodgers question again? And, and I always want to ask everybody. Okay, where were you within the last couple of years, the quarterback that you saw, and and now how do you compare that to a season where he's maybe on his way to another Super Bowl and an MVP? Well, how do I compare him? Well, look, he has definitely not lost any talent. I do think, and well, I know, I don't have to ask him or whatever, because I watch and study these guys and all that, uh, that he spent more time working on being a quarterback this offseason than he probably has in years before. And I actually heard a statement by him that he went back to squatting weights and doing things like that to get his legs stronger, bigger, whatever. And, and, and I, you know, Ryan, I noticed that early in the year. I said, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he looks bigger. And he was. And then when I heard that story, I go, okay, good. That validates what I saw. But his throwing's been as good as ever. Uh, That's awesome to watch. Uh, It's amazing the way he can – we talk about Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady's arm, which is – but nobody can flick the ball and from all angles and spin it, falling backwards, better than Aaron Rodgers. And uh, it's been fun to watch. And and, and honestly – I look at these championship games real quick and just go, I almost feel sorry for the quarterback that loses uh, in these games, just because they've all had great years. And, um, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we have Dilfer on all the time. I worked with him and become pretty close. And he was early on, and he goes, Aaron was just pissed off about the Jordan Love pick. And that's what happened. I go, God, it just seems so ridiculous that you, if you were Rodgers, you'd have to be that motivated. Um, instead of just being motivated by people starting to doubt your ability, but you're right. I mean, he's been, he's been stronger. And I thought, all right, you know, if Dilfer saying it, and it seems to be hinting at kind of what you're, you're not saying love specifically, but that he seemed motivated this year in a way that he hasn't been motivated for a long time. Is that fair? 
Well, yeah, I think so. You know, yeah, when you draft a quarterback in the first round, that, that, let's go all the way around. That's slapping you in the face. And, you know, everybody goes, oh, well, it's for the future. Hey, the future's now. You know, everybody talks about to all oh, when we draft him for three years down the line. You know, that day's over, too. You know, I know Aaron Rodgers sat on the bench for three years, but I'm just telling you, it's not over. Now, it, you know, right away, just, you know, do your job and uh, try to build a team. Aaron Rodgers still ha- has plenty of years left in him. And uh, so, yeah, did it motivate him? Uh, yes, I'm sure it did. Did it make him mad? Yes. But also, you know, Matt LaFleur has done a better job of designing the offense. There's more plays in it, more run plays, more format, everything, more movement, all that. That is as big as what Aaron Rodgers is doing also. Can you get into more specifics on that? Because I, I like where you're going with that. I, I always want to try to understand this stuff better. What do you notice as somebody who's played it, you know, been around it your whole life? Like when you go, oh, okay, this is what they're doing a little different offensively under the same coach. Like what are the things you look for and then, you know, they're able to like share with us? Uh, one, just the movement is one. And people, you know, you see all the stats and, and analytics or whatever, but movement does one thing. It makes the defense think a little bit. So make them think. And when they think, they slow down. And that's what you want to try to do. But just uh, being more creative in the run game um, and being more, um, what's the word for it, just staying with it. And there's no doubt the play action pass has turned into a big thing for the Green Bay Packers. And usually when you play action pass, they're not doing it to throw it out in the flat for two yards. They're doing it to try to throw it deep down the field. And my gosh, you got one of the best, strongest arms in NFL history. And he's as accurate as anybody we've ever seen. Um, you know, so take advantage of that. And there's no doubt Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett, who's, you know, a, is coordinated in the NFL. And I've always liked what he has done as a coordinator. And you put all these ma- minds together and you get more plays and more ways to beat the other team. And that really is as big a key as anything. Andy Reid, who has more okie doke plays than him? My gosh, I mean, oh, a shovel pass to Kelsey to the outside, you know, Kelsey running the Wildcats, uh, you know, just the last play of the game last week where Chad Henney is standing there really calm and you think they're going to run the clock out or is he going to try to draw him outside? Everybody's relaxed, the emotions of running back in the backfield. Yeah, we're not going to run a play. Sit hike. And it catches you by surprise. And just think, they practice that to act like we're not going to run a play. So that that just goes to show you how important coaching is. Whenever I would listen to you do a Pats game, I I knew it was just different because of your relationship with Bill. And when Bill's there long enough, you're just going to get stuff from Bill that other people just aren't going to get. And then Tom's there forever. And so I wonder, did you get a sense, did you have a better sense of where the Bill-Tom divorce was going than maybe anybody else? Because you've just been around him for so long that maybe you're picking up on things in a conversation or production meeting or some of the things they were pointing out that you go, you know what, you know, Bill eventually will make a change here. Well, you know, I've been away from doing games for a couple of years, so I kind of missed that end where maybe, but even being from afar, you could hear the words, watch the body language, everything that was going on that this might not come, this is going to come to a, a rough ending. And, uh, but they had a great run and those things happened. The team was changing, you know, Brady's disappointed with the people he gets to throw to and do all this other stuff. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't shocked when it happened. Uh, and, 
it, you know, the thing about Tom Brady, that just just to get away from that subject just for a second, all the times, I think I did close to 90 Patriot games in my broadcasting career when I was doing games. He walked in one week, sat down with me, and we're talking, and, you know, I could see he's got this look on his face. Says, well, so what's going on, big guy? Hey, you know, you think I never completed a pass around here the way they talk to me. And I just went, oh, oh yeah, okay, here we go. And it, it was, you know, he was just coming in and he was venting a little. And I said, hey, yeah, that's the life I lived for 15 years or all, not 15, eight years with Bill Parcell. No matter what you did, it wasn't, you know, it's just, hey, whatever. And so uh, it, it was funny. And it was, you know, he played all those years with Bill Belichick. He, you know, he was always, what's the word for it? They're, they're always on edge. I can say this with complete honesty. Nobody practiced harder and longer than the Patriots of all the teams I watched in the NFL. So, you know, there's, there's a reason why they got it done for so many years. Yes, talent, great coaching, but their work ethic was, Ryan, it was unbelievable to go to a Friday practice and watch them get ready for the game. It was so competitive, so tough and hard. Guys are knocking passes down from Tom Brady. Receivers slip and fall. He's cursing at them. They're cursing back. I'm going, this is, you know, and there'd be times I'd go, when's this practice going to end? I mean, I've had enough. I already know everything they're going to do now. And uh, so just to follow it, you understood why they won, why they did. And, of course, Tom Brady's carried a lot of those things down to Tampa Bay with was it like that for you with Parcells? Was it the same kind of deal on a Friday? Is that where Belichick gets it from? Well, it was the same practice schedule, absolutely. You know, listen, we practice hard every day uh, with the Giants. There was never, oh, let's go out and sweat and let you guys rest. We didn't have, uh, not once in my career did he, uh, in the eight years with Bill, did we ever do that. I mean, his big, his big thing was, it's, all right, it's Friday, guys. I'm going to let you take the pads out of your pants. But by God, we better have a good practice or I'll never take them out again. And, you know, you're like, wow, Bill, you're so nice. We get to take our thigh pads out. You know, it was, it was, it, it was pretty hilarious. But Wednesdays and Thursdays where they were miniature football games. That's for real. They, they were. They were very physical and um, a lot of hitting. Thank God I wasn't a lineman or a linebacker or whatever. It, it, it was really something else. And. You know, I don't know how guys did it, but they did it because that was their job, and that's how you kept it by practicing hard. Do you end up just disliking a Parcells the whole time you're working with him and appreciating him after the fact? I mean, I've, we've all seen the videos. You know, I know you've done this interview a million different times, but it it feels like one of those relationships where you, as you mature, you understand how important it is, but in the moment, it's just tough. Uh, and no, uh, look, we yelled at each other. Not as much as people portray it, of course. Uh, he was just a very demanding guy. And, and then quite honestly, Ryan, he used me to talk to the team. Yeah. You know, so yell at me and let everybody else hear it. So it maybe would keep them on edge too. And sometimes he would warn me before practice. Sims, listen, I'm proud of you, son. You're doing great. You're playing. I just, you're leading. I just want you to know today, I'm going to just, I'm going to, destroy you i'm gonna yell at you and i just go damn can't we wait to practice to see what i'm doing and he goes i hey listen i gotta do it these other guys are just they're, they're just they're all driving me nuts and i just thought okay so as soon as i threw one bad pass did something wrong he would just you know flip out scream and yell and all the players loved it when he yelled at you if you were one of the other guys you could laugh 
And he liked that. It was like he was playing to the crowd. But it was his way of delivering messages. And and I don't know how many guys. I could probably name them out. But there was probably about six to eight guys. Well, probably about six that he would use this kind of tactic with to talk to the whole team uh, through that player. And one of them was Lawrence Taylor. Every once in a while, he would he would actually get on Lawrence just a few times, Ryan, not many, but he would yell at Lawrence and, you know, say things. And, you know, of course the players loved it. Oh, Lawrence. Oh my gosh. You're, you're getting mad at, you know, it, it was pretty funny to see the reaction from the players when he would, you know, pick on Lawrence a little bit. What would Lawrence say back to him? Oh, nothing. You know, he would, he would laugh almost. Oh, okay, Bill, come on, be quiet. You know, I mean, Lawrence would talk back and make fun of Bill too. You know, Lawrence, the, the famous thing once we were playing the Eagles back-to-back plays, he ran the wrong defense, but he hit the quarterback one and sacked in the other one. And Bill <laughs> screaming at me because I feel Lawrence, you're doing the wrong. And he goes, well, you know, whatever I'm doing, Bill, we should put it in because it's working and whatever. It was like so funny. And Bill screaming at him, you made mistakes. And then, you know, we get it the other way. It, it, was, it was hilarious. Just a, But, you know, Bill, did he treat Lawrence different? Of course. He had to. I mean, one, he was the best player in the team. He's a big reason why we won two Super Bowls. And, um, you know, that old rule, I treat everybody the same. Well, we, we all know that's not true. And Lawrence did get special treatment, and that's just because he delivered on the field. Yeah, I would I would think he, at least what he did on the field, was, was going to back up some of that treatment. I love, you know, that era of football um, in the mid-'80s for me, you know, being younger at that time and, and really paying attention to it. And then kind of, you know, that part of just feeling – like America where you go, okay, it's Sunday and this is what I'm doing. You know, I was, I was more of a basketball kid growing up, but that run that, that the bears had was cool for kids. And then your run where you were incredible in 86. But if you go back to that game at Chicago against 85 bears defense, you get shut out 21, nothing. Um, what's, what's the lasting memory from that game and how brutal it had to have been to go up against that team and then carrying that over into the next year? Well, one, the weather that day was truly the, the roughest weather I ever played in. It was, I don't know how cold it was around zero, but it was really windy and it was something. I went one side, one time I came off the field, I went to the sideline to get a drink and I picked up the cup and all, everything was frozen. And I just, you know, knocked it over. Well, all right, I guess I'm not drinking any water here in the first half, but whatever. But, you know, we got down to what was the memory, the chances. We're on the one inch line. And we don't score. We drop a perfect touchdown throw. And then we run it, whatever. We don't score. Then we miss the field goal. Then Sean Lindetta is punting and misses the ball. Uh, So, you know, those things. So we took that out of that. But also we took out of the respect for the Bears and knew that, okay, we're we're pretty good. But we got to go to another level to beat this team and to, you know, to really truly win a Super Bowl. And I've heard many coaches tell me all these things and say, getting to the championship game is one thing. Winning a Super Bowl is just a whole other level. And, uh, you know, I think we found that out, found that out playing the Bears, not only their talent, but the defense was unique. That 46 defense. I mean, I just remember going, wait, they're going to line up where? And this is what? I mean, it was really, we worked on them in training camp that year quite a bit, thinking we would see them in the playoffs. And thank God we did because, you know, linebackers are lining up where the safety is. The safety's over here as a linebacker. Who's this? And identifying what you were going to do was really hard. But more importantly, you know, the talent on the defensive side was 
it was just off the charts. There was not a weakness. And if there was, you couldn't get to it because the pass rush and the complexity of what they did would just overwhelm you. And so that next year you go 14 and two and a San Francisco team, you've gone back and forth within the playoffs the last couple of years. You, you trounce them, you shut out Washington. There'll be guys that I can talk mm-hmm. to before Super Bowl week that will say, Oh, we knew, you know, look, there's plenty of guys that are really confident, like, Oh, we got this. And then, you know, you lose 28 to 10 and you go, what happened? You're like, Oh yeah. You know, right. Where, where were you at as a team? Cause it still felt, I don't know if it felt new to you. you. I mean, you've been in the league a few years. You've been in the playoffs now for three, so you had success. So it wasn't like it was overnight, but you were just a completely different team from 85 to 86 based on record and, and the defense picking things up. So where were you going into that matchup against Denver? Well, the difference was in 86, we won the close games. And, you know, we went through really a rough year, you know, with 14. I mean, there were times and Jeff Hosteller was a wide receiver for me. I mean, it was like they fell like flies. Every game, we'd lose a wide receiver. And who's going to play this week? You know, my tight ends, Mark Navarro and Zeke Mowat, who were both very good, were missing time and hurt. It was it was a struggle. I mean, there is no other way around it. But we always found a way on, on a couple on the last drives of the game, whatever it was, the defense hold the team out but to win many close games. But we started getting healthy at the end of the year, and we really got hot. And you know, where we felt invincible and going into the Super Bowl that I, I never thought about. And I don't remember just going, Oh, we're going to win. We're just better than them, man. You know, that Denver team was loaded and uh, we played them during the season and we beat them on the last drive. Uh, you know, I'm hit two passes at the end of the game. We're going to lose. I hit like a, th- I'm, I don't know. I'm just going to guess about a third and 20. I throw a 25 yard end cut and hit it to keep a drive going. Otherwise we're going to punt and they're probably going to beat us. And then we hit another big play, and then we kick a field goal and win the game. So that was the team I thought we were going to face in the Super Bowl, and we did. But again, you know, even in the Super Bowl, we made timely, big-time plays on both sides of the ball. Bill Parcells went forward on – back when people didn't do this. Fourth and one, I think at about our own 40-something, you know, which was just unheard of back then. He did that, and the defense – of course, our defense is just like an offense. When they got rolling, oh my gosh, and our defense was rolling. I think John Elway went through three straight three and outs, and we scored all three times. And a lot of it was just because we had great field position, and you know it just started it started falling together. But never did I think that oh this is a shoe in anything like that. And you know I always think about it all the time. Uh, why didn't I do play the way I did that game in certain times more in my career? And it's really just a mindset. A lot of times, you know, you, it's just, no matter what happens, it doesn't detract you. In other words, you know, football, Ryan, it's just nothing but adversity. It always goes wrong and how you deal with it is just a bit really big. Sometimes I'd throw an interception and go, Oh, I can't throw another one. And, you know, you're like, you know, that's all you're thinking about. And then sometimes I throw one and people go, don't worry about it. Hey, look, I ain't worried about it. Be ready to tackle because I might throw six today. So here we go. And it's unbelievable. Just, just that process. And that's how Bill wanted you to think. This is a true story. Walking out of the locker room in 1984, Bill was standing there kind of watching us walk out. And I'm walking by. He goes, hey, Sims. I go, I look at him. He goes, listen. If you don't throw two interceptions today, you're not taking enough chances. Let it go. And I'm like, well, okay, I can take care of that interception part. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but, you know, that was his way of taking the pressure off of you 
and letting you play because he always believed, man, you got to play with certain abandon to be who you are and to be good enough to win big time games. Yeah, and you were basically perfect in that Super Bowl against Denver. So of of all the times to step up, did you have a feeling though? Did you like? Could you tell with certain teammates? All right, this guy like the stress to him. He may be okay, but he's not comfortable. Where did you feel more comfortable as the stakes were raised? Because I think that's a real thing that anybody who's ever played sports understands. Yeah, it's interesting. I I don't know. You know, I just was at the point in my life I didn't care. I was going to play, and uh, you know, I'd read stories. Uh, I, I can say that Ron Jaworski and Joe Theismann, I remember reading something and they just said they were saying that they couldn't focus in the Super Bowl because it was just so much, so big and so much pressure that it took them somewhere in the second quarter to settle down. I remember thinking, man, if, if I ever get there, I'm not going to waste a quarter. And, uh, you know, I thought about it and, and just was in that mindset. And Bill Parcells and I talked about it all week that week. Just let it go. I said, Hey, I'm, we practiced unbelievable and we've been playing the same way and it carried over, but that, that was the mindset. And Bill was really great in that way. You know, he pressured us every day in practice for real. It was torture. There was so much pressure in practice. And that week we practiced so well that one time it was on Friday. He actually stopped practice. He goes, all right, that's enough. He goes, damn, let's don't leave it on the field. And he got nervous because we were so in tune that even he got concerned that maybe we were, I don't know, peaking, whatever. Don't leave it on the field, all those things. And we actually stopped practice probably about 30 minutes before we used it. And that was the only time in my career we ever stopped practice early, trust me. And so it took us a while, but that kind of carried over into the Super Bowl as the game went on. So if we go all the way back then to the beginning of, of what we're doing, because that was awesome, uh, and and looking at that NFC game, I mean, are you picking Green Bay because they're at home, or do you think Tom can pull this off? Well, I think Tom can pull it off. There's no question. And, yeah. you know, I just don't look at Tom. I just look at matchups. You know, the, the uh, just when you think of Tampa Bay, they're big, they're powerful, uh, they got playmakers. You know, that's a great combination. Uh, so does Green Bay, but Green Bay is not as big as uh, Tampa Bay is and uh, and powerful. So I, the, my one concern for Green Bay, don't let Tampa just line up and pound the ball at you. You know, we saw that last year with Green Bay as they got run on. They had about five games last year where they just got overpowered by the other team's offense. And I'm not saying it'll be as severe as that, but if you let them control it and, you know, now you've got a lot of matchups. Uh, when you look at what Tampa Bay can put out there. So there's many ways for Tampa Bay to win this game. And Vita Vea is going to be back this week inside. How good will he be? I know he's not off an injury reserve. I'm not sure. But I got to read. I don't really read the injury reports until the day before the game. And I even Mm -hmm. scoff at them sometimes. We have to wait to game day. But uh, he is a big factor inside. Everybody thinks he's a run stopper. Really, he's a pass rusher. And from the inside, that's a dangerous thing. Uh, so that, that, that'll be interesting. But the other thing is just can Tampa Bay win? Yes. But Aaron Rodgers in this offense is different. They are at home. And I think this, I was thinking about this yesterday. When you're the visiting team in the playoffs, for some reason, you feel no pressure. It's great. 
They hate us, whatever fans are going to be there. They hate us, whatever. It just puts you in a different mindset. I was not a guy that got nervous before games, but I can say I might have been a little more uptight at home. On the road, I was never nervous just because I loved it. The fact, yell at us, scream at us, it, it kind of bonds you together, brings you together as a team and as players. And sometimes that's enough to give you an edge so you can win the game. This year, looking at Kansas City's defense, it's just, you know, it depends on kind of where you're at with it, where I would look at the numbers and go, all right, you know, they're not great. Um, the closing part of the season, like, all right, fine. But then when it comes to it, they're up 19-3, then Mahomes goes out. So, you know, I don't, I'm not going to look at what happened throughout the entirety of last last week to try to get a read on this. But I look at a Bills team that has been probably the best offense in the league in the second half of the season and a Chiefs defense that, at this point, it's it's certainly not a strength. So is there enough there to exploit for Buffalo to pull this one off? Uh, is there? Yes. I mean, yes. Buffalo can win this game just because their quarterback is who he is. I mean, you know, Josh Allen, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't want people to take it wrong, but he is Patrick Mahomes in many ways. He can get away from anybody. <clears throat> He's very big. I mean, when you meet him in person, have you ever met him? I mean, you'll be shocked at how big he is. I mean, he's 6'5", and he is not skinny. And his power, his ability to throw the ball anywhere, running left, throwing right, whatever it is, he can do it. And make no doubt about it, everything they're going to do is going to be centered around him. They actually, their team is centered around more of their quarterback than I think that Kansas City's is. I mean, Kansas City's got weapons galore. And they got playmakers, you know, on both sides of the ball. But who has a better, maybe Tampa Bay, but who has a, a, a receiving core that can match what Kansas City can put out here? And then they got the wild card. Hey, you think it's Tyreek Hill. Really, the wild card is, is Travis Kelsey because who matches up with him, things like that. And I think for Buffalo to win, Josh Allen will have to be really, really good and have, I'm not going to say the game of his life, but, man, it's got to be close to that for them to win. But just because of where they're at as a football team, they're a little undersized on the defensive side. They're fast, but they're still undersized. And how they will play the game will absolutely be different than how they played Kansas City in week six. And I expect Kansas City to also change the way they played too. So I looked at week six, saw the game, and go, well, I just wasted a lot of time because neither team's going to play this way when we come to Sunday. So it's going to be interesting to see how aggressive Buffalo is, especially on the defensive side, and um, what they do on the offensive side. I'll give you one quick example. I don't know the exact number. I forgot. Buffalo's playing Baltimore. How many passes did he start the game throwing with? 15, whatever? Oh, well, that he game, that. It, was, it was 19 called passes. He ran one, but it was a pass. It was 19. The first 19 play calls were passes. Well, you, you know why? Because they didn't want to waste a play. They go, well, why are we going to try to run? We can't run against these <laughs> this defensive line that they got over there. They had no, five D linemen basically across the board. So why waste a play? Let's throw it. Our best guys, Josh Allen, throw it. And all we got to do is get hot for a few minutes. And 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 uh, I thought it was a great – not only that, it tires the defense out. How many times can you rush the passer, Ryan, when you think about it? You know, these defensive linemen, I watch it, and this is stuff I do. And, you know, every I just watch, and all of a sudden in the second half, then I go, look at the D linemen. <laughs> They're tired. 
because you can only rush the passer so many times and uh, before you give out. And, um, you know, I, I saw that a little bit in the game with uh, Baltimore. I saw it last week with the Cleveland Browns versus Kansas City. Kansas City's defensive line got tired at times in that game. And when they did, Baker Mayfield was having success throwing the ball down the field. So that's going to be an interesting aspect. Can Josh Allen and the Bills offense hit enough plays to get in rhythm and then really stress Kansas City's defense to a point where they get tired and then you can really take advantage of them? And what does that do? That only gives you a great chance of staying in the game. Because not many people think really deep down that Buffalo can go out there and beat them because of what who they have who their quarterback is, about Andy Reid, and the fact that they're defending Super Bowl champions. I mean, if you pick Buffalo, you're doing it just because you love them, and you just go, yeah, I just that you just want them to, you want to see something different. I don't know, but it's hard to just sit there and say, oh, I think Buffalo definitely is going to win this game. Uh, I don't know anybody that's saying that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess the, the one thing about that Baltimore game where I. I thought the wind played such a factor in Allen's deep throws because he had three sure. or four that weren't even close. Like they weren't even close. Now I thought Buffalo was still the better football team, um, and maybe the the wind conditions aren't going to be the same. You know, I don't know what the weather's going to be in comparison to that. Uh, but I'm with you. We're in agreement. Well, now here's the real quick thing about the wind, and especially for a guy like Josh Allen. Now, if you noticed, uh, even Lamar overthrew somebody. And Josh Allen, what happens when you're throwing downwind? You can't throw it up in the air. You got to put it on the line. Now he could line drive a ball 55 or 60 yards, probably for real. And you know, I mean, he might put a little arc on it, but he's not going to put it up in the air where the wind affects the ball. The football, when you're throwing downwind, yeah, it carries, but the, the nose doesn't turn over, so it just keeps sliding in the air and goes. And yeah, he probably threw that first deep ball where he had a chance to the receiver was open and he really overthrew it because he had to go, Oh my gosh, the ball went 65 yards in the air and he flicked it. He, he put like zero effort into it. And the same thing happened to Lamar and the same thing happened to the backup quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. He came in. He's I'm sure when he threw the ball, he went, that felt pretty good. Oh my God. It's 15 yards over the receiver's head because that's what the wind does for a really good quarterback. They'd almost prefer to throw into the wind just because you know what you're dealing with. When it's downwind, man, it, that wind catches it right. It's just going to go a lot longer than you think. And, oh, what was my last thing I wanted to tell you about the Buffalo game? Oh, you were saying something. Oh, and, and see, the thing about Buffalo, they're, they do it every week. Today we're this. Tomorrow we're going to be that. And here the next day we're this on the defensive side. So, they played Indianapolis one way, and they played an entirely, I can't even explain it to you, and the, an entirely unbelievable defense against Baltimore. They basically just said, Lamar, whatever you want to do, throw it, but we're going to kill if you run. And they did. You know, They were blitzing people, doing things. Hey, they play Kansas City. It's the most conservative defensive game plan you've ever seen in history. They play Baltimore. It might be the most aggressive one you've ever watched and so that's what's pretty really cool about buffalo is they're just willing to adapt week to week against whoever they play where most teams go we're just going to play the system our system we trust our system well you know systems sometimes don't match up against who you're playing 
So that, that, that to me, that's going to be a really interesting thing just to watch as a guy that does this for a living and as a fan, just to see how each team decides to play each other this weekend. So I'll leave you with that. Can't wait, Phil. It's going to be awesome. All right, buddy. Hey, look, you have a great day. Great to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too. Absolutely, Phil. This is cool. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, big thanks to Phil Sims. Knew that would be great. Coming up next, though, from Shark Tank, Damon John. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of that next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help keep you a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are the dedicated service reps who help make sure your team has what you need when you need it. They really got you covered. Cintas has workwear and apparel for almost any job imaginable. They have styles that are durable, comfortable, and great looking. And they'll deliver fresh uniforms back to your business every week. They'll deliver floor mats and restroom products and stock your essential cleaning supplies. They provide first aid supplies, safety training, and life-saving AED defibrillators. And then they'll even test and inspect your fire extinguishers, fire protection systems, and emergency exit lights. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver Round Trip, One Way Out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit royalcaribbean.com to learn more. You know Damon John from Shark Tank. He's obviously an author. Five books now entrepreneur, a guy that has an amazing story, and I can't wait to chat with him right now about it. So let's start with um, Shark Tank only because I, I wonder, can you figure it out in like two seconds, yes or no? Like, yeah, you know, you probably want to learn about it a little more, but I bet the instinct wise, it probably feels like your gut is probably as right as anything. No, believe it or not. No, no kidding. No, because, you know, we get thrown for loops, you know, um, we don't know anything about the people. That's why. So it's not like somebody came in prior to you and prior to the person saying, hey, I got my, my, my guy or the, this woman has a great idea and they're doing some real business. You need to listen to them. Right. So as soon as they come in, you know, you hear the story first and um, you know, we allow them, I think, three minutes or something or maybe two minutes to get the story out before jumping down. there. Let them go through their whole little Fordville act. And then we ask them the questions and um Sometimes I've been like, uh, you know, but, you know, I can start picking up fairly early. Most of us can because they go. And then we did this. And, man, people have been waiting. Have been waiting. Wait a minute. Have been waiting. Oh, you don't have no sales. So, um, you know, um, we don't know right away. And then sometimes you have it one or two times where you're like, man, I'm out of here. This guy's an idiot. And then all of a sudden he goes, I got $1.2 million sales. Oh, my God. You are really, really amazing. I was, but I wrote you off as a, you know, as a moron. You're not as much of a moron as I thought. So, <laughs> a short answer. Yeah, yeah, but no, that that makes sense because because you're right. I've been tricked watching the show. Um, I guess sometimes I feel like, especially when it's the jargon, like it's just so funny. And I'm sure you run into this all the time. It pitches to you and and stuff that you grew up dealing with, where people will just. Per, like I'll watch CNBC and it will be these guys that come on that have every single piece of verbiage down and i'm like he hasn't said shit in five minutes like he hasn't said anything and it was i remember it was some app and the guy was talking about it. he just kept throwing out all these terms over and over again and i remember you guys had somebody on that was like we were at a 
you know, whatever they were asking for, hey, for 20%, we're asking for this much. And you guys immediately are like, you just gave yourself a $10 million valuation. Like, how did you, how yeah. did you come up with 10 million? And then they basically were talking about the traffic of sales. They didn't own anything. It was simply the app. And you guys were like just taking it apart. And it was so funny that they'd made it to that point and actually launched something. Yet all four or five of you were sitting there being like, this is actually not worth anything. Like I could do this tomorrow. Your sales numbers are only traffic, not anything towards your product. And it's just kind of funny and almost like awakening where these people find out on TV, their business is worthless. Yeah. Some people are idiots. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've said to some people, you haven't watched a show and ever, you didn't know we were going to do this. You I mean, of course, also, I mean, listen, and, and, and I get mad at some of all the sharks uh, because, listen, I'm not a Silicon Valley guy. Am I in some investments out there? And do I like those things? Yes, but there's different platforms for different platforms, right? Um, and that's not the platform where you say, I need 2% for half a million dollars. I mean, you know, because what, it sends a bad message to the everyday people that have busted their ass and um, they need that opportunity you know, you're valuing your company some crazy number and you got half a million dollars in a bank and you're just, I'm just fortunate enough, you're giving me the offer. That's just not the platform to do it. And when people do that type of stuff, that valuation, you know, are they idiots? Maybe. Or did they roll, did they go, go to a really well school up in, you know, Silicon Valley where, you know, over here is, you know, they, they got a million, they got 10 million, they got 50 million. So it's their life to them. Uh, but either way, you know, I feel like an idiot if I invest in one of those companies at, at crazy numbers and crazy stuff like that. I might as well just just give it away. What was your reaction when you were pitched to be on the show, but they said, hey, it's going to be your money? Yeah, I was like, these guys are certifiable pimps in Hollywood. I was like, I thought I was supposed to get screwed, not pay to get screwed. I was like, they took it to a whole nother level. I mean, I was like, I thought maybe, you know, you were trying to give me minimum wage, you know, or. But take my money? I was like, man, this pimping is real. This this, this thing is serious in Hollywood. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I understood the opportunity. I, I turned it down at first. I turned the show down. Um, I turned the show down because I was um, kind of doing some level of management for the Kardashians. And I was putting uh, a lot of the products on their show. And I said, oh, well, I'm going to be on this show for several times. Not a lot, like three minutes a piece, three separate times, nine minutes. They said, you can't do any other show. But I was, that's in the contract. And I said, well, then I can't do it. Um, and then Chris Jenner, as well as Chloe, knew Mark Burnett. And Chloe fired me. She said, I'll never get in your way. She said, I, I know Mark. And Chris was like, we know Mark is going to be a big show. And you need to you need to take this opportunity. The people, need, people in the world need to know about you. Um, and I took the show. And well, Mark Burnett called back and was like, um, after they said, hey, we don't need you in the show. And he called back and was like, so I heard you're available. And that's how the story goes. So you didn't want to leave the Kardashian show? It wasn't I didn't want to leave the Kardashian show, but I'm not, you know, um, um, I never was a person who died to be in front of the camera. Um, and as a business person, all I have is my word. And if I would have been like, Hey guys, I'm leaving. You know, they would trust me. This was their first two seasons of the show. Now, would they have cared? Not really. Uh, you know, you can obviously tell they figured things out really quick, but I just felt dirty about it, you know? All right. So here's another thing that, that I, I don't know that we have enough information on it. I'll, I'll use an example. I got really into those gold mining shows. I don't know why. 
it, it, the, the machine never breaks down as badly as you think. You know, the tractor doesn't actually turn over. The mine doesn't go bankrupt. And then I started realizing yeah. how much the guys were making to film a season. And it's so much money. They could have a disastrous season. But when the show is renewed, season seven, season eight, they're making so much money just being on the show. It doesn't even matter how well the mining goes. Is Shark Tank at a point now where, yes, it's your money, but it's still so valuable for you to just go on? Because I imagine the contracts increase with every renewal. No. Contracts. No. Con- the contract, which is 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 a great contract, um, but I think the contract, if you're lucky, would break out even to the investments. If you're lucky, now if you're money in, and you, money in, right? Not money not in, what mon- the in, right? Correct, correct. But but um, I mean, if you're if you're a drunken sailor like uh, you know spending money like a drunken sailor like Cuban, the contract is like the contract is nothing. Um, no, absolutely not. Um, and then the money in, I mean, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to lose on, you're going to lose on probably six of the 10 deals. Um, you're going to break even probably one, you're going to have a small hit on another one and you are going to do really nicely on two out of 10. How hard is that to understand? Cause I don't think people get it. I think people on the outside would be like, Oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to start moving money around. Ooh, I'd be great. Be, you know, like, look, we get it. I'm sure people ask you all the time and you can tell yeah. immediately that person, but how hard is it to get people to understand there's more misses and sometimes they're just big misses, but you got to keep trying. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't care if they don't understand, um, <laughs> to be very honest, because why am I trying to convince them? Right. Um, but that's just the reality of it. I mean, you know, but, but, you know, th- that's the difference between people that have financial intelligence and wealth or in the market. They, uh, you know, and the difference to be those who are not, you know, people, you know, listen, I get, you know, how much like I get, David, you, you liked it. Why'd you buy it? How do I got to buy the whole goddamn company? Let me buy one sponge. Why? Just cause I like a sponge means I need to absorb the whole company. It, I mean, that's the worst thing ever. You ever went to a restaurant and you really enjoyed your time there? They're like, Hey man, why'd you be an investor? Now, I've never done this before, but if I would be an investor in the restaurant, I don't want to go back to the restaurant anymore and eat. I mean, now I got to think of all kinds of stuff. So people think that when you have money, you can just go around and just, just. I mean, it, it, their perception, understanding of it is horrible. And that's honestly why so many, so many people are in debt or any other thing, because they don't understand how the tool of money works. All right. Well, so give me the best example of explaining that to somebody early on. Well, company is a bet. If you and you don't control the company, usually you are uh, less than fifty-one percent owner of the company. So you go to Vegas and put down ten bets. You know, how many are you going to hit? You know, um, and you, if you're an investor in the company, the primary reason you're an investor is to let your money work for you. Um, so if you say, "Well, you're an investor in the company," and if how many hours of a day am I supposed to put in on all those companies? What if I put in one hour a day on all those companies? I'm still be working 10 hours a day. So when do I have time to run my life? What if I put in 10 hours a week on all those companies? Uh, it's not like the world is always perfect. FUBU is not Nike. Don't you think I need to go back and help FUBU out somewhat? I mean, I own all that <laughs> damn company. So it's just not that easy. So when you put your money at work, you have different personalities. You have different products. You have different customers. You have the changing of uh, how social media uh, converts. You have retail stores dying. Where you, you know, How do you think you're going to do? Right. So especially when you're doing something on Shark Tank, 
you know, when you go to traditional venture capitalist companies or uh, maybe even specific angel investors, they have a very clear criteria. You know, I have $100 million and I want to be into 10 companies. And out of the 10 companies, because I am not spending uh, $1 million per 100 companies, I want 10 companies, simple as that. And I know that I need to increase my uh, end goal by you know, 20 or 30%. And I want to be out of these companies in anywhere from five to seven years. I want to fund them within the first year. And I all want them to be in biotech the way, because if they're in biotech, then I can use my CEO, my CMO, my development to work on all those companies. When you're on Shark Tank, one minute I got a sponge, the next minute I got lotion, the next minute I got a dog walking company, the next minute I got boots, the next minute I got this and that. So now you're fragmenting your knowledge of what you have and your time and your energy. You don't have time to you just send as much money as you can to the people, understand what they're going to buy with it. Because someone come on and say, I need a half a million dollars for my investment. And I go, and I go, well, what's the half a million dollars for? Well, I'm going to spend it all on advertising. You idiot, you're going to get a $5 million commercial on Shark Tank. Why the hell are you spending on advertising? You moron. So you, you got to always understand a lot of these things. It, it, gets, it gets a little intricate but after 12 years of doing it on shark tank and another five another 10 years of doing it privately i'm just used to it when you know people talk i would say early on they're like you know i'd love to get into this i'd love to get in real estate i'd love to figure out this kind of stuff and it's it's the outside investing from their primary source of revenue right i want to be able to figure these things i want to be an entrepreneur and then like they turn 30 and then maybe it's 40 and you go oh I, i guess i wasn't really wired that way and i'll explain to other people at least in my business like there's an element of having to be wired just a little bit differently to put up with some of the bullshit that maybe not everybody's ready to put up with or the sacrifice of the first 10 to 15 years of being on air and all that kind of stuff when did you first know you know, with your background, knowing you weren't going to school, knowing that you weren't going to be flush with cash. And you would even said in interviews, you know, being Queens, you didn't have a lot of role models. But when did you know you were at least wired differently to take on this kind of challenge? I never knew that I would be or never expected to be at this level of taking on these type of challenges. But um, I think it was right around in my um I always knew I was wired differently and I wanted to be, uh, you know, some kind of business person. But um, we didn't have those type of people to look up to in, um, you know, going to school and stuff like that. We didn't see those type of business people. You know, they would we didn't have social media, so they would disappear in the daytime because they went to Manhattan and they worked on their businesses or worked in a corporation. So we didn't see that. The TV shows weren't showing black people that did well. There were two, there were two black people who did well on TV um, um, or who are entrepreneurs. One did really well, which was George Jefferson. Um, and, you know, you never saw him operating the dry cleaner, though, or doing the business. You just saw him, you know, yelling at Wheezy and or, uh, you know, dealing with his people. And the other person... <laughs> You did see him operating his business, but it didn't look like Fred G. Sanford, the junk man, was doing that well. I didn't want I didn't want to be around Aunt Esther and looking at Lamont. So I didn't really have the examples of seeing where it could really take you. The only people I saw of color um, that were doing well were athletes and 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 um, uh, musicians. So I never knew that I was built to do anything bigger. I just thought I had a hustle to, to be done when it really is called entrepreneurship. We didn't put a name on it back then. The name of an entrepreneur back then when I was growing up in the early 80s was someone who set your house on fire and then comes and sells you a water hose to put out the fire. That was pretty much it. So, uh, so again, I, I, never, I never envisioned myself here. You've also talked about your daily routine, and it's, it's pretty intense. So can you describe it for everyone? And then I'll obviously have a couple follow-ups. 
Yeah, my daily routine of setting goals, are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, goals and then kind of how you stagger out the goals on a different timeline. So it's almost like you have tiers of goals going. Sure. So um, the the routine starts at night. Um, It starts before I go to bed. Um, I have uh, uh, 10 goals that I I read um, every night. And I say every night, listen, I'm human, um, maybe five days a week. And sometimes I skip them for a week and and I realize that I'm, I'm... uh, I should be back on my game. Um, but there are 10, there are 10 goals and six of them expire in uh, six months and the other four expire in uh, two years, five years, 10 years, or 20 years. I read them before I go to bed because it's the last thing I want to think about before I go to sleep. And we all know that uh, the last thing you see or watch or listen to is what you tend to dream about. So definitely don't watch Ozark before you go to bed at night. And um, I wake up in the morning, I read the same damn goals. Um, and uh, because I wanted to be one of the first actions I take, do I take an action on all 10 of the goals? No, not at all. Um, but will I substitute that nasty egg and cheese sandwich I want in the morning with that green drink because I had that goal? Will I make a call towards that uh, that partner or that distribution or whatever because I know that that's where I want to grow the business? And will I make sure I call my wife and or kiss my daughters or, or call my mother because I know that in the goal is to have a closer relationship with them and talk to every single one of them uh, one to two times a day. Uh, and and, and that's, those are my goal setting techniques. Now we can get way further deeper into it, but I know we have limited time. No, I just think it's really important. I think for anybody who's like kind of sitting around, I mean, I know at least for me in my mid twenties, I was like, Hey, this is not working out. Like whatever you've been doing, this is not, this is not the way it's going to go. Cause if it keeps going this path and I, I would do something as simple as say, did you do anything today to improve your situation? It was that simple. Like at the end of the day, yeah. I'd go, did you do one thing? And that's the point is it isn't every day. And sometimes I get annoyed with the arrogance of people that are life coaches or write a million self-help books where you just admit like, Hey, there's a day where it's not happening but it at least makes you feel like you're missing out on something when you're not following something as simple as changing your diet in the morning. Because then once you start processing it that way, it becomes official. And then you feel like it's just a little bit easier to follow. I know it sounds simple, but I just thought that was really cool of you that you admitted like, look, I'm not saying it happens every single day, but the process alone keeps me in line. Yeah. I think one of the things that is important as well is that is whether you do it the way you do it or the way that I do it. And there's so many other ways to do it is the fact that when you get, or if you unfortunately get to a lower point in your life after doing it, you go, why don't I go back to doing that? You start to miss it and say, it was actually working for me. You know, it was kind of, it's kind of my, you know, my automatic pilot that brought me back here. There's something missing. And I think that, that sometimes it's the loss of having it that says, wait a minute, you dumb shit. You got here from doing that. Why aren't you doing that again? Yeah. You also talked a little bit about, you know, the excuse making because people will just find a way. And it was a really funny point. It was like, Hey, don't watch every episode of game of Thrones this weekend. You know, like, there you go. Just cut that down. (laughs) Cause whenever somebody says, I don't have time, I know different challenges and I'm a guy without a family, so I don't really have to worry about it as much. So I'm not trying to compare myself to anyone else, but I feel like any time I hear somebody say that, I'm like, you've already decided then you've kind of, you you pretend you want these things, but deep down you don't. You set a goal. I don't have time. That's the goal you set. That's a conscious goal. A goal doesn't have to be a good goal. I'm going to be in a, I'm going to, I'm always going to be in a damn abusive relationship. I'm never going to get anywhere in life. You just set a goal. If you're doing that 10 times a day, I grew up in a neighborhood where we said, we're fucked. We'll all be dead or 20. We'll all be dead or in jail by 21. Now, maybe other people told us that, but they gave us that gift to then share with each other. Um, So a goal is a goal. Yeah, that's good or bad. That's right. So as you're looking at everything that's gone on, like, I don't know, you know, kind of 
what the rest of your portfolio looks like. And I, you know, I'm not, you can share or not share whatever you want, but it's a really weird time because the market's on fire yet. It still feels like how, how serious is this? Is it temporary? How much have you adjusted your investment strategy or, or how you're doing things with, with trying to navigate kind of where we're at right now? Cause it's been a weird 12 months. Yeah. Listen, I've been wrong for about 80% of my um, decisions. And during this period of time, investment decisions, I have been I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm going on 90% of being absolutely wrong. What are you wrong about? Oh, you kidding me? I shorted the market, you know, because, you know, the market was at 16 four years ago and we're already at 30. I was like, no way in the world can you grow basically almost double through the course of the last 80 years of being in the market and sustain this amount. It's going to go back down. And when it went down to 16 for that quick blip, I didn't double down. I started to come back up to 22. I said, it's going back down. That sucker shot to 31. I was looking at my money going, God damn, I used to love that money. Um, so that was gone. Um, uh, it's know, an awful year, feeling logging on some days. <laughs> yeah, you know, last year, last year, my friends were like, and I had a bunch of Bitcoin. I was like, ah, this shit ain't going nowhere. Pew! Went to the top because I dropped it all. I dropped it. I got rid of it. I was like, ah. And I'm sitting here, I said, David, you idiot. You could have What'd you get rid of that? I got rid of it like $6,000. Did you have it at twenty on the on the front side of it, and then like were you I trying to cover it, the I losses? About, I had it about three. Yeah, no, I had it about three, um, and it went up to nineteen. I said, "Now, yeah. cool, cool, cool." Went back down. I was like, "Yeah," you know. Then I was like, "Hey, honey." Unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to be able to keep their stores and all that shit. We're going, you know, we're going to build a house and all that. So we're going to get everything. At discount. I mean, everything we want in our store. I mean, everything we want in our home. Everything. I mean, it's going to be discount. I'm still waiting for a goddamn toaster that I paid ten times ten x for because everybody sold out of every goddamn thing. You know, so everything I've been wrong about. I was like, we're going into a, a, a depression. Things are going to be on fire sale. The only thing that's that's not on fire sale is the people, the things that people need at home because everybody's home. I mean, this is ridiculous. So I've been absolutely wrong on all those however um those are i have the luxury of being able to know the market uh we'll come back it'll go up and down i, I adjusted some of that but the 30 percent of my companies that were kind of like the walking dead and the 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 sooner or later gonna die as kevin o'leary would say take them out behind the barn let's get it over with right now so i saved time with the 30 percent. the other 30 percent that i was like eh, skyrocketed and then we got 30% in the middle now that I need to concentrate on. Um, and and I'm, then I'm being able to reevaluate my time. And either fortunately or unfortunately with uh, social crisis, I'm one of the only um, um, deemed successful people of color that have nothing to do with music, sports, or politics. And because there needs to be an amplified voice, because I think we have more than a, in a common than we do apart, um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a lot of... Uh, board seats, as well as startups and places where I think I can add value that will have a, a significant social impact. So I'm starting to do more of that than I had done in the past, because I think that people are actually coming around and saying, we need to make some real change. So, you know, as it goes up, it goes down, you know, uh, you, you learn from your mistakes and you value your opportunities. First of all, I love your honesty, because most people 
you know, especially with your profile, maybe don't want to be that honest, but I'll, <laughs> I'll only just share with you as just a guy that, you know, is reads and watches and, and in your spare time and screws around with it and has had awful runs and, and decent ones. But when it was at 17, I was like, okay, look, just, just buy the, buy the, the tech stuff up, just buy it up. And so good run. And then I wanted to get back in real estate. So I got rid of it and then I could look at where it's at now. And I had to learn that lesson too. Like whatever it's at now isn't your fucking money. So stop looking at it and doing the calculation. Like I've got one friend that's been bitching about Netflix for 20 years. And we're like, guess what, dude, you would have sold it at some other point. So stop complaining about not going all in on Netflix in 1999. Like Jesus, get over it. And (laughs) when I look at where, you know, the market is now and people listen to this are going to be all over the place with it. And when I look at, um, like sneakers is something that's crazy because it's on fire. Like it's absolutely the secondary market for sneakers. And I go, okay, so what's going on? I think part of the retail explosion online is boredom. I think a lot of it is a financial decision where you're really kicking the bigger problem down, down the street a little bit where I look at real estate and higher end places where you thought eventually you had to cool off because we're already past where we were in 2008 and I'll go, okay, what's happening? And some of it's connected to the rates and all that stuff. But now that stuff is on fire again. And mm-hmm. I go, when is, is the bill going to come due for 2020? So I don't blame you or anybody for not only shorting, fuck short, just doubting where we're at yeah. right now. And that's, that's what scares the hell out of me. We are going to have to pay the piper. I don't, I don't, you know, and, and people, it's going to be a definite misunderstanding when we have to pay the piper. People are going to be like, how, oh my God, how dare? I mean, but it, it is it's going to happen. So be prepared for it. Diversify. I'm seeing everybody move to Miami and I moved out of New York. You know what I need to do? I need to get another place in New York. Uh, you know what I mean right now? Because that's, it's just going to keep switching around, right? So, it's, you know, so. Um, hey, so. Early on, it is a bunch of alphas in that room on Shark Tank. There had to be a t- couple times where maybe early on, you're like, I, I'm just not going to be able to fuck with this guy. Like, I can't. I don't like him. Like, I know it's a TV show. I may have respect for the other guy, but I can't. Was it harder for you in the beginning? Because you said you didn't even really want to be in front of the camera where you felt like maybe the show element was going to hurt a relationship with somebody you've now worked with for maybe 10 years. No, no, I didn't. I never had a problem with anybody except for I had a, an initial problem with Bethany when she came on the show um, because I had had, um, I had had a, 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 not a run-in. Uh, I had an encounter with her on some show or something like that. And she was, she was cold or a certain way. And listen, I'm, you're not supposed to kiss my ass, but she was just so, <clears throat> you know, now, I have no idea what she could have been going through, but you know, it's kind of like um, a colleague thing, a professional thing. To, hey, how you doing? Da, 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 da. And she was very much so. And, and my limited knowledge of her was, you know, the the women on, you know, obviously the show that there's a lot of drama where she will admit that, you know, they're drinking and talking. Housewives, shit. yeah, right. housewives. So, yeah. so she comes on and um, and uh, absolutely amazing. Fell in love with her. Um, she was about the, she was about the entrepreneur. She gave a shit. She knew her brand. Um, and the reality is, you know, like, uh, one of my buddies said to, uh, he was telling me a story. He was like, he was in a car with somebody and said, you know, going to meet this person, uh, they're an asshole. And he was like, you haven't met the person? He said, no. He said, well, if you think they're an asshole, you never met them. Well, you're the asshole, you know? So, um, 
Uh, Bethany and I are very close now, but that was the only person I ever was like, uh, and I, and I think the reason why I had the problem was because I said, to, I said to myself, I said, as her being a woman and me having this, whatever feeling, if I lock horns with her, I don't want to lock horns in the wrong way. And I then be perceived as, you know, somebody who does not have a, a certain level of respect for women. Now, you've been pretty adamant, and I think in a very specific way that I haven't heard, um, but explain your, your reasoning why you think females are just built to be better entrepreneurs, that they have an advantage, essentially. What is that? Well, I think that males are often intimidated by, by them. I think that um, <laughs> women have a way to, because, you know, you can, you know, listen, we're a human. I think that you can visually look at a woman and your perception of a powerful woman or a beautiful woman is, you know, we've always been in the position where we need to find a way to pitch ourselves to, you know, if you're, if you're a straight male, we have to find a way to pitch ourselves to a woman, right? You know, that, that's the way it is. So I think that they can be intimidating sometimes, but I think they also have this ability to listen and be nurturing and know that, you know, and I guess, listen, it's, it's because I'm surrounded by all women you know, my mother or my wife, my current wife, my ex-wife, they had a way of looking at me when I'm doing what, I, what I'm what i doing and, and looking at me and going, mm-hmm, is that right? And making, and, you know, really understanding that you're just, because the ego is not the same position as that, understand, looking at you almost like a little boy with a snotty nose and a, and a blanket trying to get their way and go, okay, honey, <laughs> you know, kind of way. They have a certain way about them as well as um, they're very, very analytical. I mean, if you've ever had a, a wife or a girlfriend, anybody else, they will, they, they can break down things and they, they take the time. Um, I'm the big idea kind of guy. Um, and, uh, I've just, I've just seen that I've been, uh, very, very productive with women as at the, at the helm of my companies and the helm of my life. So that's just my experience. Yeah, the company side, I think that's good. I think personally, I'm all set with being broken down much more uh, at this point <laughs> in my life. So if, we have listeners that, you know, maybe they, they've run into a little bit of money. They want to figure out a way to get an investing. Um, you know, everybody has different views on real estate. And honestly, it really only matters if you understand the market of where you're buying the real estate. But what would your, are there lessons from the books? Are there things that you still believe in now that are like, look, I did it my way. You might do it differently. But here's just some simple things you would share with people about understanding and trying to be an entrepreneur that's going out there and putting some money around. Sure. Um, the first investment is in yourself. Um, and money only highlights your weaknesses in many cases. So um, if the first, the first investment is yourself is if you want to get in the market, well, you know, there's, there's, there's not, it doesn't cost you that much to get the software to sink or swim from TD Ameritrade and play with the software. Now, if you think you're going to be Gordon Gecko all of a sudden in the first week, and because you want to play with, you know, a thousand or a hundred or, or uh, a million, then you're not that bright. I mean, you know, you're only trying to take a shortcut. True entrepreneurs. So whether, you know, we're talking about you as a broadcaster, you know, every day when you got up, you learn something new or you learn what not to do, or you learn where somebody was going and it was really good for them. And you learned about the 10 other people that are no longer in the area because they thought that it was an overnight sensation and they had no uh, overnight success and they had no, um, you know, they had no real drive for the industry itself. They didn't want to learn more because they didn't find it fascinating. Um, and they wanted immediate gratification. Right. Their schedule. And, that happens to everybody. It's like, man, your schedule is not, your plan is not everybody else's schedule. It's, it's not. It's, right. it's not. And so if you want to learn that market, that, that other area, the smart way to do it is don't quit your damn day job and put in a couple of extra hours in on the, in the place that you want to be. 
educating yourself and, uh, you know, grow it then and then see how else you can learn and keep bringing a lot of other people around because uh, it's a team sport and continue to grab mentorship. So, I mean, but it, 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 it gets, ends up being your why. Why do you want to do it? Because you heard that people in real estate do really well. When I started off with shirts, it wasn't glamorous. You know, when I'm in the middle of a hood and um, uh, hip hop culture, which is a very, at that time, and even till today, it's a very homophobic culture. When the only designers we saw back in the 80s were flamboyant, uh, you know, males out of France and Italy, people didn't talk to me in my neighborhood. They were like, Hey, man, we're going to go over here and sell some drugs. We're going to go over here and catch some girls. I used to be like, man, I got the strawberry pattern. I'm going to go home and I'm going to make this really nice hat. It was like, ooh, I see. You know what I mean? But I didn't care. That was their problem. You know what I mean? I bought a FUBU tank in 99, I think. Yellow. Yellow. And we used to, we used to have certain nights we would we would bartend and it would just be it would be on and i kept one i kept one yellow fubu tank forever because i knew once it came back around it was going to be hilarious that i had it 20 years after i bought it (laughs) so i've I've, every move i've made i'd be like no i'm keeping it so (laughs) uh hey man it was really cool talking to you we all love the show here on this end and uh if you can ever repay the favor let us know all right all right i appreciate you thank you so much man stay safe and happy new year yeah you too This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. I am so pumped for Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, and that rematch is taking place this Saturday. And really, the question is this. What are you thinking? McGregor again in the first round by TKO, or does Poirier make him tap? Well, guess what? You can make those bets on FanDuel Sportsbook. They've got so many different ways to get in on the action. And right now, when you open a FanDuel account, new users can unlock a 25 to 1 odds on either fighter to win. That means you can turn $5 into $125. Okay, looking at the odds here on FanDuel right now, McGregor's around a minus 300, uh, depending on where you look at this thing. Poirier's plus 245. So with the odds boost there, I mean, the safer play here is McGregor. I was watching the preview of the first fight, too, again, and it was just really nasty uh, leading up to this one. So there you go. And if you want to check it all out, you know that FanDuel is so easy to use. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and use the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to unlock 25 to 1 odds. And also remember that FanDuel Sportsbook is now live in Michigan. So for our Michigan listeners, that's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Must be 21 or older, present in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. New users only. Max bonus 125 minimum. $10 first. Deposit required. Restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700-Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF, Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. 1-800-GAMBLE-NEW-JERSEY-PA-ILLINOIS. Tennessee Redline. 1-800-889-9789-Tennessee. Or visit 
1-800-GAMBLER.net, West Virginia. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Got a lot of homeowner issues lately, so that's cool. Um, we do have the fitness ones, but we don't have our guests. We know who we're using, but we just we haven't booked it yet that way. Okay, here we go. Long-time listener. Oh, this guy's a big guy, 6'4", 240. People keep bringing in the stats. That's fine. Um, that's cool. Anyway, uh, he and his girlfriend bought a house together this summer in Orange County. It's everything we want, a great neighborhood, flip, renovated before we moved in, a corner lot, one neighbor on one side and one directly behind with a shared wall. When we moved in, the neighbor behind us had a large patio umbrella that split our back wall and was half in their yard and half in ours. Not a huge deal overall, but it was a bit of an eyesore. Our house has been renovated for about six months before we moved in, so we just assumed the neighbors would notice someone had moved in and moved the umbrella fully to their side. This did not happen. All right, here we go. To make matters worse, over the first few weeks, every Friday and Saturday night, our neighbors would have loud pool parties and play techno music until about 12 or 1 in the morning. I love to drink and have a good time as much as the next guy, but it was getting excessive multiple times over these first few weeks. I walked over to the neighbor's house and knocked on the door in hopes of finally meeting face-to-face, getting to know each other, and hopefully coming to some sort of amicable agreement on music, loud noise, etc. Unfortunately, no one ever answered the door. Who's living here? Jesse Pinkman? This is nuts. (laughs) No one answered the door. All right. So we could not figure out exactly who lived in the house. Four weeks in after ragers on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights, the neighbors got it going again on Sunday night. Since this was the fourth night in a row, my patience was gone as my girlfriend and I were laying in bed at 12.30 a.m. We heard a loud bang against the sliding glass door in our living room. I jumped out of bed, went outside, and found a smashed vape pen on the ground that someone had chucked over the wall from the neighbor's party. I was seething mad. My girlfriend begged. So in the middle of the night, you found a vape pen? You have the eyes of an eagle, man. (laughs) All right, so seething mad, I... My girlfriend begged me not to go over to the house that late, so I chucked a broken vape pen back over the wall and called the cops. Pretty understandable at this point. I think almost everyone so far is, is leaning your way in this. Okay. Call the cops. Please say they go check it out. It's also in August in the middle of the pandemic. Hey, the Orange County has decided the pandemic. Florida, Scottsdale, and the OC apparently have all said, we're good on your pandemic. They're just... They're treating it like a science that they don't believe in. All right. <laughs> Things are quiet during the week, so we thought maybe the cops had an impact. But on the next Friday night, party started back up again. And Saturday morning, I woke up and went to our backyard and found multiple beer bottle caps and cigarette butts had been tossed over the wall. Ooh. I immediately walked to the neighbor's house and started knocking. Finally, someone answered the door, introduced myself as the neighbor, uh, sharing the wall. The guy said he lived there with his dad and that he was 23 years old. I said, that's great. Nice to meet you. Small talk, blah, blah, blah. Finally, as I was getting ready to leave after a five-minute conversation, I said, hey, two other things. One, would you mind moving your umbrella completely over to your side of the wall? We'd really appreciate it not hanging over on our side. And two, I'm all for partying and having a good time, but could you please lower the music around 12 and please don't have anyone throwing trash in my yard? He said, oh yeah, of course, no problem. I thought to myself, great combo. Common ground, we should be good. All right. Now, since he said he lived with his dad and the parties were going on, we assumed the dad was out of town. And a couple days later, lo and behold, the umbrella was moved off our side. However, a couple days after that, we heard the dad again in the backyard. And the next day, the umbrella was back where it was before. 
and was half in our yard. All right, so they don't care about you and the umbrella at all. They, they clearly don't care about you at all. So we're just going to get that one out of the way if you hadn't already figured that one out. To make matters worse, my girlfriend and I went on a walk later that evening as we passed by their fence. We heard the kid talking shit about us to their neighbors. They called the cops. They're lame. They asked us to move the umbrella. Guy's an asshole. After all this, I was just over it and didn't want any more issues, so we let the umbrella be. A month later, I'm building um, a pergola in our backyard. It was up on the ladder. The neighbor, the dad who I hadn't met, was on his roof spraying something down. Unsolicited, he calls out to me and says, hey, I just want to let you know I ordered a new umbrella. I have a TV mounted on the wall, so I need the umbrella for shade. I bought one of those half umbrellas and it should arrive in a few weeks. I said, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Appreciate the heads up and the understanding. Fast forward now. It's been three months since that conversation, and the same dumb umbrella is still there in half in our yard. Do I drop it forever and let these neighbors punk me with their umbrella? Do I try it? talk to them again about it reasonably or do I go uh, full deconstructo mode and take a sawzall um, <laughs> to the half of the umbrella in my yard. Okay, he sent a picture. I'm going to tell you right now, if I were a judge, this picture is not doing our email or any favors because it actually, from the angle, it doesn't look like it's all the way over or it's half over on you or you know the, the wall seems really high. And so you're seeing their umbrella and you're kind of like, whatever. All right. So I'm not ruling against our guy that emailed in here. I'm just saying this picture for this umbrella, it seems like a huge amount of shit that you're dealing with here about this umbrella angle. I'm also used to seeing everything else because where I live, everything's on top of each other anyway. So we just like, you don't even think about it that way, but I get it. This is a house. It's a lot slightly different, although I'm sure it's probably a packed neighborhood in the OC. The bigger issue is that he just doesn't care at all. He doesn't care about anything. And then oddly enough, the dad doesn't seem to care about anything. Like you have to be, I would say early 20s, you kind of don't understand. You just are like, what are you talking about? I'm in my 20s. People want to come over. And because it's a pandemic, he's having more house parties. And he's there's there's no process. Look, I was that neighbor when I was really young. I just didn't even think. I'd be like, why would you not want to listen to Ludacris at 20, you know, at, at two, three in the morning? Like that's a me problem. And you're just an asshole, uh, you know, like, and you kind of know, like, oh, you know what? I probably shouldn't do that, but you don't care. You just don't care because you're young and you're stupid and you're arrogant and you're just, you're kind of like, man, why is, why is this guy giving me such a hard time? So I really think the only thing you can do here, the umbrella thing, I just, you're obviously just going to lose on, you know, I think you are, I would give up on the umbrella deal, but the party thing was so much more disrespectful. And the fact that clearly oh, this asshole neighbor, and they decided, like, I would never do that. I would never go, oh, this neighbor complained, so now let's throw garbage over the wall into his place because that means, so this guy has no respect for you at all, and it doesn't seem like the dad does either. This actually sounds like a classic OC family. Shout out to Orange <laughs> County. Um, I think you're going to just fight fire with fire on this and just go right back at him where you throw an all-timer <laughs> With with COVID restrictions passing. So you might have to wait a while here. We don't want to endorse anything. Um, and you you go hard at like 3 fucking a.m., all right? Like that's when it starts. And you you maybe get a bullhorn and say, hey, we're going to, you guys think you go hard? We're going to go Mykonos hard on this side of the wall. And just just go for it. And it'll be hilarious because you probably wouldn't ever do it anyway. Have it be so late, so obnoxious, Music that you can't even pick up with Siri, where they're like, don't know. It's I think it's Turkish. And just rage 
without giving any fucks about these neighbors and hope they come over and go, yep, like that's what it's like. I love my dad. He's got a really odd, funny streak in him at times. And he drove me back up to school during a snowstorm once. So I had to be, yeah, my freshman year. And we were stuck in this dumpy motel. He was not the kind of guy that was going to splurge in a hotel room ever, by the way. And there was a couple next to us that was just raging all night, smoking cigarettes, it stunk so bad. They're making all sorts of noise. You know, we'd driven all the way up from uh, Martha's Vineyard to get to Burlington in a snowstorm, which is, you know, if you've ever done that drive through the North Northeast, it's, it takes forever and it's kind of hairy. I mean, normally it could be five hours, but with snow, you never know. I mean, it's taken me 11 hours, I think, in the past, like if I hit it wrong. And so we were miserable. I had to move into the dorm because I couldn't get in, you know, when we drove back up. And we were both tired. It's cold. And the, you know, like the motel sucked. It was our call. What was his call? And my father was so pissed about the bad night of sleep that he, he turned the TV up as loud as he possibly could to a Canadian station that was playing cartoons in French. So <laughs> if you think there's an annoying sound of music or an annoying TV show or just a loud conversation, hungover 7 a.m. French cartoons like French Tom and Jerry has to be one of the worst things to wake up to. So we just, he turned the TV on the TV cart, turned it all the way up. And it was like, all right, right, let's get out of here. <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it was like to wake up to that hungover and then try to figure it out. And we're already checked out and you know, they're banging on the door. I don't know. So I just feel for you on this one. Cause the, the kid, the kid isn't going to get it. He isn't going to get it. He thinks you're the bad guy. That made me feel so gross from like sophomore year until like, I guess until like last week. No, 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 no. But like until probably 20 till I turned 21 and it wasn't weird that I was like drinking. Like, I don't know how many years that is. That's a lot of years. There was a, at my dad's house, there was like his fence. We shared like another, there was like a no man's land situation between two fences between our yards. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I don't know, maybe like three feet across of like, you know, there's trees and, there, and there's fences and then there's really nothing in between. There's no reason for anyone to ever go in that area between the two properties fences. And it was cigarettes and beers because I didn't want my parents to find, you know, like thinking they would go in the garbage or something. So for, I mean, maybe eight years of just me and my friends, cigarettes and beer cans and bottles. And then one day my dad was getting the, the trees cleared out and I went with him because I was like, I got to see what this looks like. I just didn't think anyone would ever have to see it. And the neighbor walked up and he was, was like, oh, there's some stuff back here. He's like, yeah, I've been cleaning it out for years. And I just fucking kind of like folded into myself that this guy has been like, he was, and the guy was like 65 at the time. So he was already probably near retirement when I started the little stash back there. And I just thought, oh my God, this man's been cleaning up my and my stupid friends, beers and cigarette butts for eight years i don't know so i just thought it was like a an abyss but no that guy checked and would just go back there with garbage bags apparently so that that story made me feel really gross because i just i had a flashback to that yeah i mean it's it's part of growing I up i never thought you know, about it but like i remember i mean this is i'm not going to do another life advice so this will just turn into a little bit of a story time thing but 
God, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but we got our hands on a ton of fake snow, you know, like that you do on your your windows, so it looks like the windows are frosted around Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We had to have had it from a house party or something stupid. And so we just had a ton. And then we used to constantly do like graffiti on each other's cars. And one guy wrote on like the back of a kid's, I don't know, it was like an RX-7. Does that make sense, Kyle? Can we get, can we get research on what an RX-7 is? Yeah, I <laughs> Let's just put it this way. It wasn't a sweet car, okay? Um, now, it wasn't even this one. This is like a 95. If I go like a nine, that's a, it was a Mazda something and it wasn't awesome because the funny thing is like, I didn't have, I wasn't a guy that had money when I was in college, you know, and we would have roommates. You just, you couldn't fathom like a roommate would go pick out a fucking Land Rover discovery because it snowed be like, oh, my parents, you know, be like, dude, you have a Tahoe. Like, oh, my parents are just not uncomfortable, you know, with, with the, with the conditions up here. So they wanted me to upgrade. And then, you know, next thing you know, kids driving back with a fully paid for Land Rover Discovery. And these would be our friends, right? It just was, UVM was crazy that way. And then, you know, me and this, this another kid who was from Mass. And by the way, even when my father started doing better, the last thing he was ever going to do was buy me a car at 2021. 20, never. It was never going to happen. And I just remember all of a sudden, like, spring break or closer to graduation, everybody was rocking these brand new cars. And it was always kind of a reminder too. you're like, Oh, this is, this is how rich some of our friends are. This is fucking crazy. And, um, the, you know, me and the, one of the other kids who was, he was from Woburn mass. I mean, he, he wasn't from a family that had money. I mean, shit, he thought I was rich. Cause I was, I was from Martha's vineyard. And again, my, my father started doing like better as I got older. And so at that point it had like zero impact on me at all. Um, so they wrote a huge Eda fill in the blank on the back of his Mazda shit box. And we left it there for like two days in a neighborhood with people <laughs> that were walking dogs and kids that were getting onto bus stops. And I thought it was the funniest thing. And one of the other guys who lived in the house, and we we're all the same age. And he goes, Hey guys, like, just gonna give you a heads up. Like, don't we shouldn't be doing stuff like that. We shouldn't be doing something like, yeah, we're all making fun of it. We're, we're spraying fake snow stuff on each other's cars. And you know, we shouldn't. And and seriously, half of us in the room are looking at him like, what's wrong with this guy? Like where, where, you know, and he was right. He was totally right. But sometimes you're just so wrapped up, especially when you're younger, because you just have less, you know, you have more storage and less has gone on. So you're wrapped up in your present day, probably more, more often than you are as you get a little bit older. And I'm embarrassed. Look, I'm embarrassed to share the story, but I also don't think it's that, that crazy of a thing. Like in that moment, I'm going, wait, what? And now I look back and I'm horrified going, some parent was walking their daughter to a bus stop and you know, they'd be like, what's that? And you're just like, oh, uh, you know, like, oh, it's these terrible six guys that, you know, and that was the weird thing about Burlington, Vermont, is that you'd have these old neighborhood stretches, but then they would get overrun. Like if there was a old timey house that had three floors, maybe it's got three units. So college kids are going to be the people renting it out. And we rented out this massive house. There was like six of us in six bedrooms and nobody else was really going to rent that house out other than college kids. So, you know, they would, Burlington would also do this thing where they pass all these town laws during the summer when no one was around and they were all just set up to hammer 
every college kid and all that stuff started actually really changing while I was there too. So like we came back our senior year and then we're like, wait, 24 hour noise violations. Like when did this get passed? So like it's August. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so anyway, um, not, not all that insightful, but if you're maybe really a lot younger, that's listening to this podcast, it, like, just like Kyle said, like you kind of turning into yourself where you go, Oh, the world wow. is bigger than your driveway or that space between yeah. the fences. Like, <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately for our, our guy that emails in here, this, this kid doesn't care. And if his dad doesn't care, then this kid, like this kid is ranked. He's like a two seed in the East region of not caring <laughs> of people. <laughs> his dad's backing him so, up. Yeah. You got no right, shot. Yeah. If the dad is backing him up and he's throwing garbage. Cause the problem is, is if you escalate it, I don't know. I'm with you. I mean, I'd have a hard time just going, oh, I don't want to keep this going, but you know, you're just going to have to, maybe the next party they have, you film all the garbage, you send the video to the dad and you go, like, even you as an adult, you would have to admit this is super fucked up and it has to stop. And if that guy's like, yeah, whatever, my kid's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe join a biker gang. I, you know, let's not do that right away. Just, just, just think it out loud. Just stuff, you know, spitballing here. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll be back and previewing the Super Bowl. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.